0: Take your Bibles this morning. Turn with me to the Book of Acts, chapter twenty-three. Acts chapter twenty-three. As we can study as we continue our study on Sunday mornings in the Book of Acts. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul we find him doing today. He's telling people about Jesus. I'll speak to you for these next few moments on how to stand up for your faith. How to stand up for your faith. Acts chapter twenty-three. We'll begin to read in verse one. I'll invite you to stand this morning in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. We're in Acts chapter twenty-three. Begin to read in verse number one. The Bible says these words. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, and you do command me to be struck contrary to, to the law and those who stood by said, "Do you revile God's high priest?" And Paul said, "I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead. I am being judged. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For Sadducees say there is no resurrection, no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Then there arose a loud outcry. The scribes and Pharisees, party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight. Against God. Now when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled into pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him unto the barracks. But the following night the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so must you also bear witness at Rome. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your Spirit would speak to us in this place today. God, I do pray if there's one here, Lord, that's never been saved, there's never really been a moment that they've turned and responded to your grace, God, we pray you'll convict them of their lostness, their need. And I pray, God, they'll turn and receive forgiveness that can only be found in Jesus Christ today. God, I pray you'll encourage your church, you'll strengthen us today. God, you'll also equip us. God, we'll be ready in the days ahead which are growing more and more dark more challenging for the church and for doctrine. God, I pray that you'll equip us. And when the time comes, Lord, we won't have to stand and wonder how we'll respond, but we'll already be ready to stand up and to speak out for our faith in you. Bless this time. Draw us closer to your side. Conform us to the image of Christ. It's our prayer. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. And I'll invite you to be seated. Well, so we come to this text now. Paul's been saved um, for almost... 20 years. It's interesting, you know, as we read through, we're really not able to date and to time this, but a lot of water has gone under the bridge since Acts chapter 9 when Paul turned and responded to the gospel. He's planted churches, he's written letters, he's been on three missionary journeys. And through all of that time since Paul responded to the gospel and was saved, every time that he found himself in hardship, he never flinched. There was never a moment we see in Scripture where he backed up or he hesitated. He just boldly stood in love and responded to the gospel and spoke up for Jesus Christ. One of the reasons is this. Paul never got over being saved. Apathy was a word that Paul knew nothing about. Uh, We see in the last letter to the seven churches in Revelation chapter 3, the church that really represents the day that we're living in. Just an apathetic, indifferent church where people are just apathetic to the cross. They're apathetic to an empty tomb. They're apathetic to grace. They're apathetic to hell. Paul never got to that place spiritually. He never got over what Jesus Christ had done for him. But he finds himself now standing before the Sanhedrin. He's in the possession of Rome's government now. He's not in Rome but remember what led up to all of this was Paul knew that the Lord was sending him to Jerusalem to, to make this defense. And in Acts chapter 21, he finds himself finally there in the temple. We preached a few weeks ago how there were those who tried to keep him and to tell him he didn't need to go to Jerusalem for he was going to find himself in chains. And Paul knew this. He knew what awaited him, but he knew that it was God's will for him to stand up and to speak out and to make a defense of the gospel there in Jerusalem. He found himself there in the temple. The Pharisees, the Sadducees saw him. They immediately tried to seize him. And then there was a mob that they were absolutely, uh, they were beating him. Verse number 32 of Acts chapter 21 says, I mean, Paul was taking a beating uh, because what he preached stood in complete contrast to what the Judaic religious system had moved to and turn to, because John says in John chapter 1, he came into his own, and his own received him not. They would not receive Christ to be Messiah and to be Lord of their lives. And so Paul now has this opportunity to stand and to speak, and he gives a defense in chapter 22, and he, when he begins to speak in Hebrew, this mob, who many of them, they didn't even know why they were there. Uh, they were just like a crowd in a Western lynching. You know? They were just going along, and following the crowd, and they're like, well, who are we hanging? I don't know. People say in the back, I don't know, but he must have done something. And, and that's the way people were in this crowd. They, had, they really had no idea what Paul had been accused of, but they were just stirred up and frenzied. And so Paul began to make this defense in Acts chapter 22, and he spoke, but it's very interesting that they listened to him intently until verse number 21 of Acts chapter 22, where the Bible says, Jesus said to me, he says, then he said to me, he's speaking about what Christ said to him, this is Christ's mission for Paul's life. He says, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. And when they heard that one word, Gentiles, the Bible says they listened to him, verse number 22, until this word, and then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow the earth! from the earth, for he's not fit to live. What were they saying? They're saying anybody that would tell a Gentile how to be saved so that he shouldn't die and go to hell, he ought to be taken from this earth. That's how upside down they were in their thinking. But yet these are the same kind of mindset people who said, here come these disciples of Jesus Christ who have turned the world upside down. Friend, I want to remind you, the gospel doesn't turn the world upside down. It turns the world back right side up. Only the gospel can change the direction of our world. And so these people are just going nuts. Verse number 23 of Acts chapter 26 says, They cried out, They tore off their clothes and they threw dust in the air. I mean, can you visualize that? Here are these people that Paul says, you know, Jesus told me I'm to take the gospel to the Gentiles so they won't die and go to hell. And they just get down. They start, you won't talk about a tantrum. They start pulling their clothes off. They're screaming. They're throwing dust up in the air. These people are absolutely possessed by the devil and hatred for people. They have no love for their fellow man, and the very mission that God had given the nation of Israel, Genesis chapter 12, verse number 3 says, I'll I'll bless those that bless you, I'll curse those that curse you, and through you shall all families of the world be blessed. And they had completely set aside that truth. Well, now he has the opportunity uh, to speak before the Sanhedrin because the Roman government wants to try to get an understanding of what it is that Paul is being accused of. In Acts chapter 9, verse number 16, the Lord told him from the very beginning it wasn't going to be easy. He sent and he told Ananias, who was a believer, not the one we're going to see. He says, you, you tell him that I'm going to show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And friend, I want you to know that if you stand for the Lord, holy on his word in these days, you're going to suffer for the Lord. It may be through relationships. It may be on the job but some way you're going to face difficulty and hardship. Paul did, and we will. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. these These are his last writings, his last words in 2 Timothy. He says, yes, and all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You're going to face hardship if you stand for Christ and for Him alone. And I'm telling you as a disciple, especially in the day in which we're living, at some point you're going to have to stand up for your faith. It's either going to be one-on-one with somebody who challenges you, who has a negative word to say about the gospel, and the Lord is going to give you an opportunity to present them with truth. It may be one to a whole group of people, family members, former friends, employees, those co-workers that you work with, or it may be you with another group, maybe a church, family, who's going to have to stand to give a defense maybe before the government at some point. But at some point in your life as a disciple, you're gonna have to stand for your faith just like Paul did. And we see three things today that Paul had in his life that you're gonna need also if you're gonna be able to stand up for your faith. Number one, Paul had the right conscience. He had the right kind of conscience. Look what the Bible says again in Acts chapter 23 in verse number one. The Bible says, then Paul looking earnestly at the council, that means that he looked straight in their eyes. He wasn't embarrassed, Uh, he wasn't trying to be bold in the flesh, but he knew who he was in Jesus Christ, and he knew the severity of the situation that he was in, not for the threat against his life, but the opportunity to stand and give a word of truth about Jesus Christ. Because the Judaic leaders of of the Judaic religious faith, they completely twisted the mission. They were mad because Paul took a Gentile into the temple, into the synagogue. And, And that was the one place in the court of the Gentiles where they were to be able to hear about God's love and the saving grace that one day God would provide for all people through Messiah. But they had set aside Psalm 118, the cornerstone. They didn't want the cornerstone. And they tried to build a religious system without Jesus Christ. And so he looked earnestly at them, straight to them, at the council, and he said, verse 1, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. So Paul had the right kind of conscience. Well, that brings out the question, well, what's the wrong kind of conscience to have? Well, we see at least three others in Scripture. In Genesis chapter 3, in verse number 10, we see an example of a guilty conscience. Remember that Everything was perfect in the garden, but the serpent was more subtle than the beast of the field, which the Lord God created. And suddenly Satan came into the garden. God had given Adam and Eve one rule. They were to eat freely of everything in the garden, but as for the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden, they worked to eat of it for the day thou eatest thereof. He says, you will surely die. That was the penalty for eating of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And Satan came in and began to beguile Eve and to lie to her and to twist scriptures. God didn't say that. And she knew that God had said that, but she was overwhelmed by three things, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. And so she yielded, she gave to Adam. He willingly ate. And the Bible says as soon as they sinned against God, their eyes were open, and they knew that they were naked. And the Bible says that God came walking, verse number 8, in the cool of the day. What a beautiful picture that had certainly happened before. Every afternoon, God would come down in the cool of the day, and spend time with Adam and Eve, an opportunity for them to worship. Friend, I want to remind you again, worship involves many things, music, prayer, but the most simple definition of worship is enjoying the presence of Almighty God. Just enjoying His presence. Well, now, don't miss this, they couldn't enjoy His presence because they have a, Adam has a guilty conscience. And, and the Bible says... Uh, here in in verse number 10, that that God cried out to Adam. Verse 9 says, Adam, where are you? Well, God knew where Adam was, but Adam needed to think about where he was. And so Adam says in verse number 10, he says, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid. I was naked, and I hid myself. Why did he hide himself? Because he had a guilty conscience. You see, he didn't want to go into the presence of God. He didn't want to hear God's Word. He didn't want to spend time communicating with God because he had a guilty conscience about sin. And I believe that's one of the number one reasons that believers who stand in need of revival, they don't read their Bibles. They don't want to hear songs about God. They don't want to hear doctrine from Scripture about discipleship, Luke 9, 23, about being an all-in disciple. And one of the reasons they don't want to, friends, is because they've got a guilty conscience. They have unconfessed sin in their life. Christ is not Lord of their life. To him that knoweth do good, and not to him it's sin. Friend, it is a sin to not be filled with the Spirit. For Christ not only to be resident, but to be president of one's life. So that was an example of a, of a guilty conscience. That's why people want to they they stay away from the presence of God. That's what, that's what Adam had. But Paul also speaks later of a seared conscience that people have. First Timothy chapter 4, and verse number 2, Paul says now in the, in the latter days, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times many will depart from faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines and demons. That is, people who were in church, who were sitting under the Word of God, who served in churches, who sang in the choir, who raised their hand during, during a special song that, that moved them. The Bible says all of a sudden one day, they'll, they'll just, you'll look and they were there, and then they're gone. And you find out that they're sitting in places not necessarily that don't teach the wrong thing. Listen, but there's an absence of the teaching of the right things. Don't miss that. It's not just that churches will teach lies, friend. There will be an absence of the presence of truth. And so therefore, people won't have that doctrine to respond to and to receive. And because of that, friends, spiritually they move to a place that they speak lies and hypocrisy. And this is what Paul says, they'll have their own conscience seared with a hot iron. They'll come to a place, friend, that they really they don't even know the difference between right or wrong anymore. Then, when they do sin, they don't even really seem to blush about it. That's what Jeremiah said about the people of God in Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse number 15. The Bible says that prior to the 586 B.C. judgment, even after seeing what God had done to the northern kingdom in 722 B.C. through His instrument of Assyria, that the people had so sinned against God, they had so perverted the worship of the one true God, they didn't love their neighbor anymore, they so oppressed the poor just so that they could get richer. The Bible says in verse number 15 about all these things. Were they ashamed? when they had committed all these abominations. God says, no, they were not at all ashamed, neither did they know how to blush. They came to a place where sin didn't even bother them anymore. And friend, I'm telling you, we're living in that day. I mean, you try to talk to people about what's right and wrong, and they look at you like you are absolutely stupid. And friend, listen, and that's among some people that say they're saved. People sit and laugh at you when you talk about them, things that the Bible says is expressly sinful. They will laugh at you and just make a joke about it like it's it's no big deal. How can that be? Because their conscience has been seared. They have so lived against the Word of God for such amount of time, their hearts have become hardened to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And it's just as if, friend, we were out in the backwoods somewhere and someone got cut, had a deep gash or... God forbid, was shot. One of the quickest ways to stop infection is to lay hot iron to a wound. But once that happens, friend, wherever that hot iron hits that wound and it becomes cauterized, it'll never be felt with again. Paul says that's what happens. You can so get away from the Lord that you've got a a seared conscience. There's a third kind of conscience. The the book of Titus talks about a a defiled conscience. Paul says in Titus chapter 1 and verse number 15, that to the pure all things are pure, but to those who are edified and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience become defiled. That absolutely nothing bothers them whatsoever. That, I mean, there's, there's, listen, there's no depth to, to, to wickedness barrel that you can go that will offend someone. There are people that are living like that today. That, that is a world that we're trying to reach, friend. I mean, that, that things that we, we, we're uncomfortable even mentioning and talking about and trying to educate kids and grandkids that's in the world so that they need to be aware of it so that when they're confronted with it, they can know how to avoid those things. It, it makes us uncomfortable even to have those conversations with people that we love. Isaiah chapter 5, In verse number 20, the Bible says, Woe to those that call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That's what we see in the media. That's what we see in the majority of news. That's what you see on television shows. Everything that the Bible says is wrong is now right and celebrated. I'm not talking about homosexuality, friend. I'm just talking about immorality that it's it's fine and fun, and then to talk about to live a life of holiness and full surrender to Christ's lordship, well, that's just legalistic. That's that's over the top. The Bible says it's right. And people that think that way, they have a defiled conscience. Paul was saying he didn't have any of those consciences. That as he stood and ministered, he had the right kind of conscience. Verse 1 says, he had a good conscience. But you know, in Acts chapter 22, verses 4 through 5, when Paul was sharing his testimony, look, into what, look at what he said. Don't miss this. Paul says, you know, there was a time in my life, verse 4, that I persecuted this way. What ways is he talking about? It's the life of a disciple. Someone who responds to the way, the truth, the life. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Also to the high, the high priest bears me witness in all the counsel of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there in Jerusalem to be punished. Paul says, I persecute the church. He says, I'm personally responsible for no telling how many people's deaths. Now Paul says, I've got a good conscience. How could Paul have a good conscience after all of those things? And you may be like... Part Of the verse that Lily's saying this morning, you've just got some things in your life you wish you could go back and undo. I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but anybody like here like that this morning? You just, there's 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 some things you wish you could go back pre salvation and post salvation. You wish you could go back and undo. Paul had those, there were things that he wished he could go back, but yet with that, he still says, On the other hand, don't miss this, I stand before you with a good conscience. How could he how could he say that? Well, number one, friend. He got saved. Acts chapter 9, verse 6. All of those things that he was ashamed of, all of those things that that stood between him and God, they were forgiven the moment he said, Lord, what would you have me do? He confessed Jesus to be Lord of his life. So you, you may have things this morning that are just binding. And that's the first question I want to ask you, friends. Have you ever really been saved? Not have you joined the church, not have you been baptized, but has there ever been a moment that you truly repented and by faith trusted Christ to be Lord of your life? That's what Paul did. And all of that past sin, and friend, listen, all of his present sin, and thanks be to God for all the sin that's going to be in the future, it was forgiven by the grace of Almighty God. Paul had a grip on that. He understood that. He got saved. Secondly, he was filled with the Spirit. Acts chapter 9 and verse number 17 God sent Ananias to him and he says, you know, Paul here, God sent me here so that you could be filled with the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit touched his life. And it was at that moment, not only was the Holy Spirit, now listen, Paul didn't have a second baptism, he didn't, like some of the Pentecostals say, you know, go to to another level in his faith. When you get saved, friend, all of the Holy Spirit comes to live within your heart. The question is, friend, does he have all of you? And so at that very moment, friend, listen, the Holy Spirit got all of Paul. He was filled, and he continued to be filled. Ephesians 5.18, be not drunk with wine or excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That is, day in, day out, there was not a moment that the Holy Spirit of God did not control Paul's life. Where God said to go, Paul went. the last decision Paul ever made for his life was to trust Jesus to be Lord of his life. And after that, God made all the other decisions. That's why he had a good conscience. He was saved. He was filled with the Spirit. And number three, he had the right perspective on forgiven sin. He had the right perspective on forgiven sin. And writing to the church at Philippi in one of these prison epistles, while he was bound, Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 12. Paul says, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected. He says, but I press on. Paul never arrived. He said, but I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid for me. He says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Now, don't miss this. He said, forgetting those things which are behind. Well, there were two different things that Paul's forgetting. It was all the positive things. So he says, I've planted churches. I've seen people experience miracles as God worked through my body. He says, I've forgotten about those things. He says, there's new ground to capture for Jesus Christ. But there was something else that Paul behind him it was all the past sin he didn't allow the devil to bring him into a place that he lived daily in condemnation he didn't wake up and say I can never witness to anybody because you know I, I, I had all these Christians in pre acts 9 brought in so that they might be killed I can never serve God because of my past no friend he knew that word forgiven meant forgiven He knew that the word justified mean just as if it never happened. He understood positionally who he was in Jesus Christ. Was he a sinner? Absolutely. He would say, I'm the chief of all sinners. Book of Romans, he says, the things I know I should do, I find it so difficult to do. And the things I know the Bible says I shouldn't do, I find it so easy to do because of the flesh. How could he stand with a clear conscience? Because of those things. He was saved. He was filled with the Spirit and he biblically understood what it meant to be forgiven by God's grace and to be justified through his saving blood. So he could stand because he had the right kind of conscience. So no accusation could be brought against him. Not so with the high priest. So when Paul begins to speak, and this, listen, this is all a kangaroo court, it's an absolute joke. They've already made up their mind what they're going to say about Paul and do to Paul. As soon as Paul begins to speak, verse number 2, the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by to strike him on the mouth. And so he was, if anybody should know how to keep the law and to enforce the law, it was Ananias. But they just walked up and just smacked Paul in the mouth for what he said. But Paul said to him, you know, God loves you. No, he didn't say that. He says, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. He told him the way it was. He said, listen, you stand there in your religion, but you're a whitewashed wall. What, what, what is that? He said, there's nothing but rot and black mold behind it, and all you've done is put a fresh a white, a white coat of paint on top of it. He says, but God sees there. Friend, I want to tell you, that's what God sees behind all religion. You know, you, you, listen, friend, you can get a pig, put a dog costume on and under it, on top of it, but I promise you, friend, before the day's over... That little dog you've got, it'll find a mud puddle and try to eat I a mean, mud puddle, and they'll try to eat something that make a Billy goat puke. You want to know why? Because it's a pig. It's a pig. And you can take a person, and they can try to act like a Christian and say the right things and do the right things and walk the right way into church and out of the church, but God sees the heart inside. He knows what's there. And Paul says, you're, you're nothing but a whitewashed wall for you sit to judge me according to the law and you, knock, and you command me to be struck contrary to the law. The book of Deuteronomy laid out how, how someone was to be disciplined and it wasn't to be standing up. He says, you're, you're breaking the law. And so those who stood by says, well, do you revile God's high priest? And I love this. Paul says, I, I didn't know he was the high priest. I wouldn't have known by the way he lived that he was the high priest. That's what he said. He said, this guy, he doesn't live like he knows God. He wouldn't know God if he met him in the road. So Paul had a clear conscience. This guy didn't. The reason why is this, friend: Paul's life matched up with his words. That's what the world's looking for. There's Christians who will actually live out what they say they believe. You've heard it since you've been around the church. If you've ever tried to winch, and I have too. I'm not coming to that church because the church is full of actors. That's what it means. It's people that have never really been saved, but they act like it on Sunday. That wasn't the case with Paul. He had a clear conscience. He could stand up and he could boldly speak for the gospel because what was coming out of his mouth, friend, is the truth of what was inside his heart, and he lived out daily. And if you're not doing that, you're not going to be able to speak. It's the reason many parents won't speak grandparents to their children about the things of God because they don't live it out at home. And how can you sit and talk to your kids about what's right and wrong if you're not even living it? Your kids look at you, they know you're a joke and they know what you're saying is a joke. That's what the world's looking through is an authentic life of a disciple lived out at all times and in all ways. And so Paul can stand with a clear conscience And he could speak those things because his life matched his message in all things. The second reason that Paul, the second thing that he had that we need, if we're going to stand up for our faith, is the right counter. The right counter. Paul's in a battle right now. They were punching at him. And so Paul had to have the right kind of counter. And friend, listen, I don't mean a a feint with the left and then a straight right. It was with words that Paul fought. That's what we fight with. We stand in fight with the Word of God. And so he needed the right counter. Look what happens. The Bible says he begins to survey the room. He's not trying to run. He's not looking for a, a back door. He has an opportunity and an audience. Steeped in religion, Pharisees and Sadducees, and all this Roman crowd who doesn't know what they're listening to. He is God the crowd. And so the Bible says in verse number 6, look at it. When Paul perceived, That is, he began to study the situation. He began to look at what was really going on. That one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees. He cried out in the council and said, Men and brethren, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead. He says, I'm being judged. And when he said that one word, listen, it was like you threw gas on a blazing fire. When they heard the word resurrection, they went absolutely nuts. Our Lord had promised his disciples in Luke chapter 12, verses 11 through 12. It's two verses you need to know in the day in which we're living. Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. Jesus says, now, when they bring you into the synagogues, not if they bring you. And synagogues are symbolic. when, When you have to stand and make a defense on my account, When you have to stand up for the gospel. Not if you do, but when you do. Now when they bring you into the synagogues and the magistrates, that's the authorities and authorities. He says, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. He says, don't stay up all night wringing your hands. Don't have little cards that you've got these pat prepared answers. Now listen, there's balance on that. Paul says we're to study to show ourselves approved woman doesn't need to be shamed, but knowing how to rightly divide the word of truth. There's balance. So you need to be skilled. You need to hide God's word in your heart so it'll be there. Listen, a soldier can't fire a bullet that's not in his magazine. So you, 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 don't, you don't load your magazine on the battlefield. You, you load it back behind before you deploy. And so we're to hide God's word in our heart but we're to be ready and to be leadable by the Lord so that, verse 12, listen to what Jesus says, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. He says every situation is going to be different, and you're going to have to have the right counterpunch. You're going to have to know what to say for every different situation. And so the Bible says in verse number 6, don't miss that, Paul began to, to proceed. He began to look around the room. He surveyed and he thought, hmm, here's the Pharisees, And here's the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees, they reject angels and they reject the resurrection. And here's the Pharisees. They affirm both. But isn't it something? They're united in their one thing, and that's the hatred of the Lord Jesus Christ. So probably the right thing to do is to talk to everybody about the resurrection. And so God gave it to them, and look what happened. Verse number 7. And when he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. And so they just go into a tizzy. Now they start fighting amongst themselves. For the Sadducees say there's no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. And there arose a loud outcry. Now they're not shouting at Paul, they're shouting at each other. And they begin to, yes, there is. No, there's not. Yes, there is. No, there's not. And so the scribes and the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying immediately, we find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. And so their problem, don't miss this, it really wasn't with Paul. Now listen, it seems from the reading, you know, that they hate Paul. Their issues really, it's personal with Paul. It wasn't with Paul. It's who Paul represented. See, that's who their real case was with. It it was Christ and it was His resurrection, they absolutely rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ because to accept the gospel is to say that how they had been living in these past years had been absolutely wrong, that Christ had come and they had missed out on receiving Him and worshiping. Remember on Palm Sunday that when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, they all hailed Him, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord but they weren't recognizing him, saying, that's our Messiah, that's our Messiah. They just said, hey, this guy's got some popularity. Better him than anybody else. He can be our new leader. That's who can tell Rome where to go and move us back into position of number one. But Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Not at first. It will be one day, praise God. For a thousand years, friend, he's going to have a kingdom on this world. I mean, and listen, he'll shut down social media. He won't care what the liberals have to say or the conservatives have to say. It's going to be his word and his word alone. Praise God. And we're going to be able to be here with him. But prior to that, friend, he came to be a king. It was a kingdom of hearts. Matthew 6, 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these things shall be added unto you. Well, they didn't want that. They rejected that. And so, when Paul was going about preaching and teaching, writing the book of Galatians, saying, Hey, look, it's not about the law. The law is just a schoolmaster. What the law was forced to show you, not that you need to be a Jew, not that you need the outward sign of being a Jew, but that you need to repent and trust Jesus Christ to be your Lord and your Savior because He died for you, and praise God, He rose again from the grave. And that's what Paul would preach. And they despised that. Why? Because it made their crowd smaller and Jesus' crowd bigger. And what it was all about, friend, was do re me, the, the money. It's all about the money. And so their issue issues with Jesus. But don't miss this, friend. Paul's problem wasn't with them. Did you hear me this morning? Paul's problem wasn't with them. I remember early on in our ministry when we were... In First Church in Alabama, we would go out and do door-to-door evangelism, and a couple of different times, some of the folks of the teams that we sent out, they had some rude responses from people. You, you may have never, never known this, but people can be rude at times. You know, if you don't know that, just go to Walmart and try to buy something, you know, and get out of the store. Uh, but people can be rude at times, and so folks would come back, and, and I remember people just really upset and say, "I'm never doing this again." You know, they were just really ugly to me, and I'd have to talk to them, try to encourage them, say, "Listen." You can't take it personal. You can't take it personal. Paul didn't take anything personal. And again, friend, because I have opportunity, I just want to say because I've heard it so many times, Paul never used these two words together, church hurt. You're never going to find Paul, you know, sitting in the house and somebody knocks on the door, say, hey, you know, I'm I'm Joe or I'm Jane, from, you know, first church down the road. We just wanted to come by and ask, you know, in your personal opinion, what you understand it takes for a person to go to heaven. And, you know, and then this guy Paul says, well, you know, actually, I used to be Saul, but now my name's Paul, um, and, and I got saved on the way to Damascus one time, but I got my feelings hurt, and I never went back to church again. But our countryside, friend, is encamped by thousands of people who have that same sorry excuse. Somehow they got hurt in church, and so they're just going to quit serving God. Well, friend, if that's the case, it never was about Jesus, it was all about you. When you, you're going to get hurt. If If you're around people, they will drive you nuts. But it really comes down to who you're in the fight for Christ or yourself. And so Paul didn't take it personal. Their problem wasn't with Paul. Paul's problem wasn't with them. Ephesians 6, you have to fight the real enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Paul's real fight was with the devil who's working through them. As you minister to lost people, they're not always going to receive what you have to say. They may laugh at you. They may mock at you. They may even curse you. But your fight's not with them. You've got to recognize if it weren't for the grace of God, that's exactly how you could be. It's exactly how you could be. And Paul remembered, friend, that's who he used to be. Paul was the guy that just got, slapped him in the face. Paul was the guy that was bringing people in just like Paul. But God's grace changed his life. So he had the right counter, he spoke truth to the situation. He gave people what they needed to hear. And the need of their life, friend, was to see Jesus Christ for who He was, to repent and to receive Him, to be Lord of their life. You had to be sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And you will also study to show yourself approved. Hide God's Word in your heart, but be dependent upon the Holy Spirit to give the right Word for the right moment. Exactly what people need to hear. That's what they needed. What a promise, Luke 12, verses 11 through 12. It's God's promise to you also. You need to know that. You need to trust in that. Number three, Paul also had the right companion. He had the right conscience. He had the right counter. But I love this, friend. He had the right companion. Now Paul had a lot of companions on ministry. As we've been studying through the book of Acts, we've seen people with him on ships. Some come, some go. Paul sent some here. He called some back. He had all kinds of people, especially though in his prison days. In the book of Colossians, uh, we see there Paul is uh, at the latter end writing again one of these prison epistles, and he begins to share all these different people that are with him. I'm just going to highlight some of this in Colossians chapter 4. Listen, he says, Tychus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant of the Lord, he'll, he's going to come to you and tell you all the news about me. So he was with him. He says, Onesimus is with me, a faithful and beloved brother. Uh, he's, he's one of you. Aristocrats, he's with me. He's a fellow prisoner. He greets you. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Paul gave him another chance. Gave him an opportunity to grow up. They'd had a falling out because he wasn't ready for ministry. Paul didn't get a chip on his shoulder. Spoke well about Barnabas. Spoke well about Mark. Justice is with him. Epaphras is with him. Uh, Luke, he's always with him. The beloved physician. Demas at this time. He hasn't gone after the world. He's with him. So Paul had all these different kinds of of companions that were with him. But it, that still wasn't the, the one companion that he needed. But now I want you to be encouraged in this, friend. Paul had people leaving too. Paul stood for the Lord when it seemed no one else would. In his last days in his defense against Rome, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, For Demas has forsaken me. He writes to Timothy and says, you know, come quickly to me. Send me the things I need. Demas is gone. He's forsaken me for his love of the present world. Titus is gone to Dalmatia. Cretans is gone to Galatia. He says, only Luke is with me. He said, get John Mark and bring him with me. He says, know that Alexander the Carpersmith, smith, he did me a lot of harm. But listen to verse number 16. Don't miss this. Paul had all these companions, all these friends who were on Team Paul. Okay? I mean, Paul was the man. I mean, he stood. He got beat up. He was a little engine that could. He just kept on going. But when it listen, but when they started pulling the swords out and killing people, when they started impaling Christians on spears and then putting tar on their bodies and lighting them with fire, so that they could light the streets for chariot races, when all of that started happening, Paul says, "At my first defense." No one stood with me, but all forsook me, Paul says, may it not be charged against them. That's the attitude that he had. He said, they're still growing in the faith. God, I pray you will forgive them. But Paul had the right companion. Friend, Look at verse number 11 of Acts chapter 23. The following night, the following night after Paul had been beat up again, the following night after Paul had had a mob and was pulled his body into the following night after Paul again, friend, is hungry, he's tired, he's most likely dehydrated. The following night after he's got aches and pains all in his body, the Bible says that the Lord stood by him. He had the right companion. The Lord was with him. He never, he never left him. Proverbs eighteen twenty four says, There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you something. Your spouse may leave you. Your parents may turn against you. Your best friend may be against you. Your dog may even run away from home. But I want to tell you this, friend. Jesus Christ will never turn against you. He'll always be there. As you seek to move forward in ministry, Christ will always be there. He promises He'll never leave and He will never forsake you. Jeremiah chapter 21 and verse number 11. Jeremiah chapter 21 says, And concerning the house of the king of Judah, hear the word of the Lord. Oh, says the house of David, thus says the Lord, execute judgment in the morning, deliver him who is plundered out of the hand of the oppressor. He says, let my fury go forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Even in the midst of all of those things, Jeremiah knew, friend, that there was a friend that stuck closer than a brother. He said, even in the midst of all the hardship when God was extending judgment, On the nation of Israel. He says, the Lord is is with me. He's a mighty and awesome one. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not prevail. They will be greatly ashamed. They will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. Why? Because the Lord was with Jeremiah. He was with Paul. Even in the midst of all of God's judgment, falling Upon a world and a world turning against those, don't miss this, that God has sent to speak a word of truth and to be light and to be the salt of the earth. When everyone else turns against you, Jesus has promised he'll be there. Paul had that right kind of companion. But notice these three things very quickly, and I close that the Lord said to him. He gives him first a word of encouragement. He says, Paul, be of good cheer. Now, doesn't that stand, friend, in just the face of, of all that, from the world's perspective of what's happening? Paul's been beaten, he's been mocked, he's in jail. Rome awaits, he's going to die, and the Lord says, Hey, cheer up, Paul. Be of, good, be of good cheer. Well, he's trying to tell me, you're not a failure. By the world's standards, He's an absolute failure. But Christ said, you've been Faithful. And friend, I'm telling you, when, you're, when you faithfully do what God says, it doesn't matter what the world sees as fruit, friend. God sees fruit. You were faithful. God says, well done. Amen. He says, be of good cheer. You, you stood up. That is to say, friend, when you stand in the workplace, in front of a friend, in front of a neighbor, however it is that you stand for your faith, even if no one receives it, friend, you were a success in God's eyes. So God says, be be of good cheer, Paul. And then he gives him a word of commendation. Be of good cheer, Paul. For as you have testified unto me in Jerusalem, so must you also bear witness of Rome. He says, you, you testified of me. That means Jesus heard it. They may have not received it, but the Lord heard it. You need to hear that this morning. The devil tried to make you feel like you're all alone. You're isolated. No one thinks like you. No one lives like you. Friend, remember God's word to Elijah. There's still 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to bail. There's other Christians in this world, friend, who want to stand up for Christ. But even if everybody else, and you're the last man or woman standing, the lone survivor, Jesus hears and sees everything that you're doing for Him. He sees everything. You're not alone. You have a close companion. There was a word of encouragement, a word of commendation, but there was a word of assurance. He says, so must you also bear witness of me at Rome. He says, Paul, you're getting out of this prison. You're getting out of this prison. Look at those first few words of verse number 12. And when it was day. It was probably a hard night, friend, but the sun came up in the morning. There's a word of assurance. He says, I'm not through with you. And friend, when God is through with us, He will take us home to be with Him for all eternity. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And so, in the words of someone who writes a lot like the Apostle Paul, but we really don't know, what a great word of encouragement in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 through 6. Listen to this. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. Now listen to me. That's not just possessions. That's with whatever your state is. If you're walking with the Lord, you're in the dead center of His will. Don't miss this. Whatever, however your life finds you. He says, be content with what you have. For He Himself, Jesus, has said, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. What's the author of Hebrews saying there? He says, friend, if you've got Jesus, you've got everything you need. He says, you've got a close companion. So then may we boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Paul could stand up and he could boldly speak for his faith, whether whether he lived or whether he died. He knew that the Lord was his helper. He would not fear. He says, what can you do to me? He says, you can't take take my life, but you can't take my salvation. He says, so if you take my life, I go get to be in Jesus Christ's presence for all eternity. If you let me out of the jail, I get to go speak about Christ and tell somebody else how they be, can be in Christ's presence for all eternity. He says, I'm a winner either way. I'm a winner either way. And so Paul, Paul was able to stand. You know, we've shown you this morning how. Now the question, I guess, really is, will you? Will you? As God gives you opportunity in these days, friend, that are ever increasingly dark and hostile toward the Word of God, will you stand up for your faith? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I want to ask you this morning, child of God, do you have a clear conscience? I know I've been saved. Praise God for that. I rejoice in that this morning. I want to ask you, do you have a clear conscience this morning before God? Do you you push away from studying His Word because of the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit because you've got unconfessed sin in your life? Do you push away from prayer because you really don't want to hear the still, small voice of God as He speaks His direction to your life that you might turn back to Him? Do you shun away from speaking up about your faith at workplace because really... Most people on the job, if they're saved, you're probably on their prayer list because you live like a lost person. Do you have a clear conscience today? If not, find one. One, be saved if you never have. Number two, be filled with the Spirit. And then thirdly, friend, just respond to God's will and be all in. Do you have a clear conscience? Does sin stand between you and Jesus today? Maybe the need in your life, friend, as a child of God, is to experience His reviving touch. Might this prayer of decision be yours today, truly from the depth of your heart, that you don't want to leave here the way you came in, with sin standing between you and God, as a child of God. But you want to be restored today into a right relationship with Him. Maybe this is your need today. God, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I'm thankful for the day that you saved me. I remember it. I remember the newness, the freshness, the joy that I had, but I don't have any more. Forgive me. I turn from sin. ask you to forgive me. I want to experience a new beginning. I've got some fences I need to go mend. I've got people I need to go talk to. God, help me to stand for you and to speak up for my faith in these days. That's my prayer. You can't stand up for Christ today if you've never been saved because you don't know Him. You can't speak about who you don't know. The need that you have in your life, friends, is to be born again spiritually. Not to join the church, not to be baptized, but to be born again. Would you not turn from all your sin today and receive Christ to be Lord of your life? He loves you. He died for you. It doesn't matter what you've done. The Bible declares, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Will you not call on Him today in saving faith? Trust Him to be Lord of your life? Do so right now where you sit. Pray just like this. God, forgive me a sinner. I've never really surrendered my life to Your Lordship, ever. i turn turned from sin. I believe You died for me. I believe You rose from the grave. And I trust You to be Lord of my life. That's my prayer today. Now make me into the man or woman You want me to be. Help me now to be bold about my faith and to begin a new life with you. If you prayed that prayer, you asked Christ into your heart. I want to invite you in just a moment when our invitation begins to to make your way to the front. I'm going to be standing here. They're going to sing in just a moment. Just step out into one of these aisles and make your way to the front. See, I trusted Christ today. And I want to share with you what God wants to do next in your life. The question is this, friend: Whatever God's speaking to you today that's His will for your life, will you be bold Will you respond to it? Will you receive it? That his best might be accomplished in your life. Father, you know the individual, varied needs that are in this place today. in Every heart, every life, every family, every marriage, every relationship. You know the needs. Oh God, I pray that as your Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts, we will bow our will to your will that your best might be accomplished. That's our prayer now. Jesus name we pray let's reverently stand to our feet head your bow out